From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Laura Gosowicz is trained as a clinical massage therapist and her practice supports people recovering from complex injuries. Laura combines her experience with injury prevention and recovery with her firsthand knowledge of the rigors of farming to empower farmers to take care of the foundation of their farms themselves. Laura runs Vital Ground Farm and works in collaboration with another woman farmer to grow vegetables, fruits, and herbs, which they make into preserved foods under their state's cottage food law to sell at Twin Cities farmers markets. We are continuing with our In Her Boots podcast series this summer on the theme of resilience and how we can nurture that and grow that and cultivate that in our women farmer community. And I'm so excited to have Laura Fredrickson with us today because she just knows this and lives this and breathes this and shares the passion for helping women farmers bring this into our lives. So thank you so much, Laura, for for joining us and for all of your interests and work in this area to combine your farming background and your your ergonomic background and massage background and holistic health background. You are such a resource for us all. So thank you. And I want to kick things off with talking about resilience more broadly is how do you personally define resilience? Well, Lisa, thank you so much for having me here on your program and for doing this resilience segment of the In Her Boots podcast. It's such an important conversation for us to be having and not enough of us are comfortable uh, talking about it. And it's got to be more of a comfortable conversation that we can have with each other and with ourselves, just all the struggles that come with caring for ourselves and our bodies and each other. Resilience, you know, it's such a huge topic and a a big part of what we do as farmers and people. I do want to hearken back to the definition that you brought up from Merriam-Webster in your first episode of this resilience series that I appreciated that you acknowledged how clinical it sounds. And that actually really speaks to me as a clinical massage therapist. And um, the work that I do too, you know, it starts out with the capability of of a strained body and strained bodies are what I specialize in. That's what I'm always working with. What I'm constantly thinking about is bodies that have been strained or are under strain. And I think we can all agree in the middle of July that we definitely feel under strain right now more than ever, uh, regardless of what's going on in the world around us. And recovering our size and shape after deformation is part of what the body needs to be trained to do as much as 
it naturally does. It definitely has a natural ability for healing. We need to make space and make the necessary adjustments so our bodies can heal, but it's healing itself and we're facilitating that healing through our interaction with our body. Uh, a strain is a change in the functionality of your tissue. When you think about getting a strain or a sprain, um, fun fact of the strain versus sprain question, the muscles or tendons can experience a strain and a sprain is something that happens to a ligament. So our vascular pieces of muscle, the muscles and tendons experience strain. And those are the types of stress that are more easily healed because we do have blood flow. The ligaments and the sprains are the ones that end up being more serious, taking more time to heal because you don't have the blood flow that helps nurture the tissue that's trying to heal. So you really do need to just stop and rest the tissues that receive a sprain. So that's just an aside. My, I'm always in massage therapist explanation mode. The other piece of that definition you used that caused especially by compressive stress. And compressive stress can be thought of in so many ways. There's physically compressive stress that immediately to me brings the visual of the spine. So the spine itself is a bunch of small bones or vertebrae stacked on top of each other with connective tissue between them that is soft and movable and muscles that support the strength of that collection of bones and connective tissue. All these intravertebral muscles have a job to do individually, stabilizing between the specific area they span, but also working in concert with all of the others. And the spine is also a place where we see a lot of injuries happen. Any piece of that puzzle can be knocked out of alignment, can be pulled out of alignment by a strained muscle. And the compressive stress is gravity. It's every day, it's our life. The compression of gravity on our head, down our spine, is inevitable. And then you put in, you know, the heavy lifting or carrying that we do on the farm, and that's extra compressive stress. And the way that we're able to recover from these stressors that we're putting ourselves through just by existing, but also through the nature of our work. We need to nurture the capability of our strained bodies to recover. And it's through some habits that are not terribly hard to incorporate, but we do have some cultural conditioning that gets in the way. But Persisting is something that farmers do better than anybody, and that's the nature of the wellness relationship. We're going to continue to break down our bodies. We're going to continue to do this really hard work, but we're also going to continue to try to do better by ourselves, by our earth, by everything that we're interacting with. That resilience is the relationship as much as it is the capability. Oh, I love how you describe that, Laura, because it, it it's a journey, right? And it's a process. Because I think too many times, I know I'm guilty of that. We just want to plug through, right? We want to get a job done. And we're not thinking that everything we do puts strain on our body and it needs rest and it needs recuperation and all of that. 
that's such a good reminder. And and how how did these topics become so important to you with you having multiple hats, right? In the sense that you're a farmer, a grower, you've got your hands in the soil, but then how did you develop this interest in the whole ergonomic body care, holistic health side? It was a strange road that has been a little bit lonely at times. It's only me that I've seen here on on the way, but um, that it's been a lifelong journey for myself and understanding and appreciating my own body. That as a small child, I was hospitalized and had some chronic pain throughout my life. And some of the way our culture deals with illness and the way our culture can deal with incapacity is not exactly compassionate. And there was a lot of internalizing that I did and some healing that I had to do emotionally and physically. And the journey that I was on uh, kind of culminated in the world of massage, that understanding the way that our body makes sense of the world is part of the way that our mind makes sense of the world too. And they're so interconnected that um, that helped me learn to heal myself. And through healing myself and becoming closer to I think of it as calibrating my compass of life, that there was a lot that I was denying about myself and about what I needed that I was doing for the sake of others that um, wasn't necessary, that who I am and what I bring to the table is what is needed by others as well. So as I explored what I want out of my life, I became more obsessed with the idea of farming. I'd been around plants all of my childhood. My grandmother was a master gardener and in a lot of education with restoration. And, you know, that was the 80s, 70s, 80s. She was big into conservation and plants were just everywhere. And I was the only one that when I got a little box of my own to plant, I planted carrots. Everybody in my family was like, okay, she's always been a little strange. So in my early adulthood, I experienced some extreme poverty and food insecurity. And I went back to this feeling of, you know, I could grow a little box of carrots again, and then they're mine. I didn't have to pay for them, you know, in a way you do, obviously, with your labor, buying seeds and dirt, but there was something more nourishing to my spirit that I needed during this really dark time in my life that growing food really brought me back to life. And as I went further along the journey, it kept coming back for me that, you know, you were able to transcend some of the poverty you experienced because you were able to grow food for yourself. And I kept expanding and wanting to grow more and more and give more away and do more to help more people experience what I experienced, that farming just became an obsession. And... The Land Stewardship Project does a wonderful program, the Farm Dreams Workshop that I attended with my wife. And the takeaway that I got from that was just go help a farmer, go be on a farm. And uh, so I did. I volunteered and was hired by a solo female farmer. And it all kind of snowballed from there. When I started to learn to farm, I had my massage therapist brain along for the ride. And so... Every activity I did, I was 
noticing opportunities for repetitive stress or noticing a time when my positioning uh, might not last much longer than 15 minutes. And after 15 minutes, I would have to adjust that was constantly taking notes on how to do this job in a way that worked for me. Also, because I had spent my whole life figuring out how to live in the world with my physical challenges. So it felt natural once the light bulb went on that was farming can use me. I'm sure there's more to say about that. Oh, yeah, we'll talk more. No, but I appreciate you sharing your story because you really have developed a consciousness of your body and farming. And I think too often it seems we lose that in the busyness of the day to day. And why, why do you think this concept of both resilience, but really prioritizing that most important tool ourselves, right? Our body can be such a challenge for we as women. We definitely have an extra set of challenges as women operating in the world and the farming world. It's like an extra layer of uh, expectation, a little extra layer of judgment. And part of what we've been doing is to already adapt and adjust and push just a little bit harder just to compete. We're used to everything being a little bit harder for us as women. You know, people make statements about the ways our bodies are designed. And there's lots of scientists that have conflicting views about any statement someone could make about women's bodies versus men's bodies. But culturally, living in a women's body, if you're working with an industry that is built for men, I know it takes a little extra oomph for me to get up on a machine that some of my male colleagues wouldn't need that extra oomph. Or, you know, I'm maybe three inches shorter than they may be. And um, so I think we get accustomed to trying a little harder and we just think that this is how it is. And it is, ultimately, it is how it is. But the ability to step back from the expectations and say, I have needs, I am worthy and I'm worth stopping for. I mean, I would I remember loading straw bales all day long with a couple of guys, just bale after bale after bale, and I wanted to take a break, but nobody else was saying, let's take a break. And being the only woman in that situation, I was doing these mental gymnastics of well, if I'm the one that says I need a break, like, how is that going to look? And when is, you know, when is this going to end that someone else, I was expecting someone else to be looking out because them looking after themselves was okay, but me looking after myself was not. And it's almost funny to think about the fact that we are the ones who take the stronger stand often that it is an act of empowerment to say, I need this, and you probably do too. And other people are just as unaware of what they might need. And it, it could be you that makes the difference. And 
typically, I think, we're conditioned to take a bit of a secondary role, or if we are in control and we are the one in charge, that we also embody that power through, keep pushing, don't stop mentality that really is uh, counterproductive. Oh, I can totally relate to that. That makes so much sense. And what you're talking about, too, is being a role model, not just even for women, but the guys, too, and everybody that we don't need to push ourselves to the point that it's detrimental. That is such a reminder that we all need. So let's move a little, Laura, into more of the the things for our toolkit and ways that we as women growers and women educators in this sustainable and organic ag field, our tent is wide and inclusive, but we all share this both physical and mental and other strains, as you were calling it, of pushing ourselves too much, right? So if there was one message you could leave with us or one thing you wished was different in the way we as farmers treat ourselves or approach things, what what would that be? The magic wand, if you could change something for all of us. <laughs> if there was one thing, I guess I would hope that we could look towards ourselves with the same amount of care and curiosity as we do to our machines or our livestock or our plants. That whenever we see a problem, we go into problem-solving mode and we think, what can I do to make this better? What can I do to prevent this from happening again? Where can I plug in my intellect to create change? But it's rare that we turn that same level of curiosity onto ourselves. And if we have pain, we go to blame or shame and think that something is wrong with us because we're experiencing this and not that it's some type of stressor that we need to manage. Yeah. And when we look at things from the the day-to-day, especially now during the busy peak of summer season and harvesting, what are some tips on approaching our day-to-day, our farming routines, things that we should be thinking about more proactively during the day that, again, probably due to busyness, we forget? What are some ideas there for us? The busyness is going to be happening no matter what, and we are definitely going to get caught up in it and we tune our bodies out. Our bodies are wired to tune out after a certain amount of pain reception that is a protective mechanism that we know that we're going to continue to experience this pain or that the pain is too overwhelming in this moment for us to handle. There are stories about people having boulders fall on their legs and feel nothing because the amount of pain is just beyond the body's capacity to handle. So we're not going to be able to stop ourselves from tuning it out. And that's usually what keeps us going the best, that we do have to tune it out. But tuning back in is the most critical. Because once the day is over, quote unquote, it's still not over. Once we're out of the field, we're eating dinner and thinking about what has gone on today, what we didn't get to, what we're going to have to do tomorrow, that it's a 24-7 job to be a farmer. And that's not going to stop. 
But if we can compartmentalize our attention enough to give ourselves some rest and check in with our bodies and say, how am I holding my shoulders right now? How am I holding my breath right now? What can I do to just feel more relaxed in my body, even if my mind is not relaxed? Yeah. And that consciousness just, I, I, I hear you. And we get busy and we forget and we plow through. What are some things, particularly like in during field work or other, you had mentioned earlier, for example, like not doing a certain task for too long or variety and diversity in how we move our body and to keep things peppered, different literal movements or ways we hold ourselves throughout the day. What are some other things along those lines to be to be conscious of, like you just mentioned, checking in, how we're doing? Uh, what are other things to think about? Yeah, one thing I like to think a lot about is symmetry. And our body is pretty symmetrical. We've got two arms, we've got two legs, we've got two eyes. If you cut us in half, we look pretty much the same on each side. And while we're working, I will usually lead with my right hand because stronger and I can go faster. And it's just my habit, you know, I'll keep going with my right hand. And oftentimes, if I can't take a break per se, but I need to switch something up, you know, I'll use my left hand, just having a moment in your mind where you're paying attention to the activity that you're doing, and think about its opposite. And that's just a simple way to bring it to any situation that if I've been doing an activity one way, how could I flip that around and do it the opposite way and then do that for a little while? It does, you know, I lead slower with my left hand, so I won't get as many beats pulled. But that's when I think about the value as the balancing of my body. And as we're talking about balancing, the symmetry and balance is something that I'm keeping in my mind as often as I can. And that balance when we think about striving for balance, we're always talking about in any industry or work-life balance and all this balance talk that the expectation and unspoken expectation seems to be that at some point we will be balanced, that we'll be done, we'll be balanced. But just thinking about the act of balancing on a balance beam, we're constantly working constantly moving in little ways to adjust and keep your balance. And if we think of it as balancing, instead of balance, duh, that we can embrace the work of figuring it out as we go and turning our attention toward our body while we're so focused on our work that it doesn't have to distract from what we're doing. We can just find creative ways and it helps my brain to just have a little fun with, okay, I'm going to do this job a little differently now because I've been spending an hour and a half doing just about the same thing. And it just revives my spirit a little bit too, to just try things a new way. Sure, sure. That That's something to keep in mind. And we've been talking a lot on the ergonomic side, but I know you see things, Laura, very holistically. How does how we care for our body relate to other aspects of health, our nutrition, sleep, or other other things like that that we need to also keep in our our toolkit? Definitely. The internal world, the mind and body are 
intrinsically connected. And the way that we talk to ourselves, the way that we think about ourselves, I often say the body is the battleground, that we act out the way that we feel about ourselves on the way that we take care of our bodies. And trying to cultivate a practice of caring for yourself, regardless of whether you're doing it physically, just emotionally caring, mentally caring, paying attention. They're things that sound so basic, but they're the kind of basic things that we just take for granted or ignore and don't think of as really crucial elements to our existence. And there are physical elements of what you eat that helps your body heal. Hydration is one of the biggest facilitators of healing that we all could probably do a little better with. I know I'm talking about hydration constantly, and I still struggle to drink enough water. And kind of a calm acceptance of like, okay, I'm going to do my best today, and maybe I'll drink a little more tomorrow. That hydration and nutrition are the building blocks of our body. And the other building block that we take for granted, I think more than any, is our breath and the oxygen exchange that happens constantly without thinking. If we can focus on our breath, even just for a tiny little piece of the day, it can bring a greater calm and also help heal tissue because oxygen is very important to healing. How do you sometimes incorporate that when you're in the field of taking a couple deep breaths or, or when you switch things around, uh, other reminders perhaps that we could be doing that? Because again, that makes so much sense and we, we forget, we just roll. Yeah. Um, I usually start by opening up my arms and my body and stretching out in a direction I'm normally really hunched over and planting or harvesting or weeding or canning, you know, all the things that I'm doing have me hunched over. So my first thought is to go opposite and do a nice big stretch out. And I don't think about it as much anymore, but before it became part of my habits, I did have to just say, okay, I'm going to do a stretch now. And it doesn't really matter when it is. It's, it's cultivating the relationship with yourself. So at some point, you'll, you'll hear the signal and be like, no, I need to do a little stand-up. And I'll just stand up. And I imagine filling up my whole body with air. And my hips have been my lifelong friend. Um, the struggles that I've dealt with have all surrounded my hips. So I imagine sending all this air into my hips or into my belly. And that this one deep breath is just going to fill me up and imagine blowing up as big as you can, taking up all this space, and then exhaling as fully as possible. And it's amazing how much oxygen continues to come out. You blow out as though you're trying to empty your lungs. I'm even surprised by how long I'm exhaling. And just that deep exhale sets the stage for another really good, healthy inhale. And we're already on the pattern. And it does, because it's not a conscious thing, breathing, our body remembers what we just did. And it's making deeper, fuller breaths as we go back into whatever we're 
it takes maybe two minutes. I try to make it as short and fast as possible because it's stressful out there. And I don't want to be someone who's adding another thing to every farmer's to-do list that feels already unmanageable. Yeah. Oh, but you're making this so tangible and practical, Laura, because it a couple minutes here and there, right? Make all the difference. It doesn't have to be some big new program or another thing we need to do, but incorporating it in small slices in what we're doing. That's doable. Hey, let, let's, uh, to wrap it up, take things inside because you had mentioned canning and you run a canned food business out of your home kitchen under the cottage food laws and bring preserved items to market. But canning, which I do too in our kitchen, that's another physical strain, right? We, we, were, we always associate physical strain with the field and being outside, but the processing side, the packing side, the things where we're just standing are still stressful, right? In a different way. And what are some things to think about in setting up our workspace or anything along those lines once we're out of the field that we need to be aware of? Yeah, I really liked the tips Claire Hintz shared about adjusting sizes of equipment. That's a really important way to make your workspace fit yourself. And when you're standing or sitting, you know, you do stand by the stove for a long time. So I usually prepare myself. I like to prepare before I start an activity so I know that I have everything I need. You know, if you know you're going to go out into the field, you know you're going to need water, you bring enough water for yourself to drink. and it's harder to think of that preparing before the activity when you're in your house and you think, oh, I'm, everything I need is right here. But just setting the stage for success that you have a school available, you can stand. I have a couple little mats I'll put on the floor if I'm maybe standing somewhere for a long time that I started bringing to the farmer's market. So I have a little bit of a softer area to stand on, but also movement can help break up the monotony that that would be a time too to do a stretch and breathe and checking in with your body while you're doing an indoor task too then having things as high as possible so you're not doing a lot of leaning down and lifting or twisting that's one of the highest propensity for injury is when you have a load bearing twist if you were to take a dozen jars from a shelf that's to your left you want to face your torso to where you're lifting instead of just turning, lifting, and then bringing it back where you need to be. That's preventing the possibility of injury. So placement is really important. Interesting. Yeah. And it's it, when you mentioned the floor mats and those gel mats, I got some of those a couple of years ago. And I have to admit, I thought they were just like little fluffy things or who needs something soft to stand on? You know, I'm hardy, right? And those make such a difference when you're standing. I am a fan because we were in an old farmhouse with wood floors. And yeah, those gel mats, I think that's a brilliant idea you mentioned of taking those to market anywhere you're standing for a while. I was amazed at just how less strained my legs feel when I stand on those for a couple of hours versus the hard floor or even the earth itself. They make a huge Shock absorber difference there for sure. And the other thing too, when you talk about canning, and this is a little more of the the mental side blending with the physical, but I often 
our days are long right now, right? And I often get too ambitious of canning and processing in the evening. And when you're looking at everything, you need to even get set up for that to happen. It can be draining. So to what you were saying of breaking things up and making sure you have all your supplies, if I know I'm going to be canning pickles tomorrow, which actually I will be, today I'll make sure I have all the jars ready to go, Do you know, and everything's set out. And then it's much easier to glide into that task tomorrow of literally the processing if I don't have to start it all. And I'm always trying to peck away at that because it then things don't get done and you feel stressed out and all of that where breaking them down and that probably helps physically too, right? To just not be doing one thing for so long and, and slicing it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Laura. This was great. A lot of good practical advice and that bigger idea we all need to remember of caring for that most important thing of ourselves and enjoying things, but also realizing that we need to care for ourselves in that process. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much for having me, Liza. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.